frankly, this is something that hasn't really changed over the four years that the survey's been um, been done. And really, number one, of course, being dissatisfaction with pay and or benefits. This episode of EMS One Stop is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L dot com. Hello and welcome back to this week's EMS One Stop. I'm your host, Rob Lawrence, and I'm delighted to welcome a returning guest this week. And he is none other than Scott Moore from Moore EMS Consulting. And today we're going to talk about two really important things. If you're an EMS leader, pay attention. We're going to talk about turnover and then we're going to talk about cost collection, two vitally important subjects right now. But Scott, welcome back. Thank you, Rob. Thanks. Appreciate you having me back. So we're going to talk about, first of all, the recently published American Ambulance Association Newton 360 Industry Turnover Survey. And uh, we're in, I think, year four. First of all, just give us a little bit of the backstory of where the survey came from. And of course, who else is involved? Yeah, sure. So originally, Greg Lawton, a former owner of Avesta Systems, had approached the AAA and, and suggested that we you know, tackle or, or try to... to at least launch a survey tied to turnover in EMS. And this was really pre-COVID. So at the time, you know, workforce was certainly a challenge, but not the challenge that it is today. Uh, Greg's company um, sponsored and, you know, paid for that survey for the first two years that the survey was done. Um, After that, Greg sold his company and the new organization was um, not, uh, didn't have the same commitment on uh, running that survey. So my uh, software company, Newton 360, decided that it was important work. So I decided to to host that survey. We did have a missing year 2020 due to the pandemic, but we picked up last year and this year and um, plan to continue the survey uh, moving forward. So um, this is the fourth year and the data has been relatively consistent, but we can get into that as we go along. This is the fourth year, but obviously it's a year where we're sort of, quote unquote, coming out of the pandemic. And so yeah. you can get a sort of a, a benchmark and a measure. But turnover has increased. So let's start there. So we're, we're seeing more people coming through the revolving door. You know, in the 2021 survey, the data suggested, and we the way we measured it was across full-time and part-time EMTs separately, full-time and part-time paramedics separately. And then we looked at supervisors and then dispatch employees. So as we looked through that, we had seen really what was a, a pretty substantial increase in turnover. So the overall turnover, when we combined those, was between 20 and 30% in 21. This past year, it went up to 20 to 36% and, and really looking at increases in, in, in all categories uh, across the spectrum for those positions that we measured. Not good news, but let's just give it a little bit of sort of context that I think that uh, everything, every report I read says everybody's turning over. So maybe it's not just us, or is it really? Well, no, it's a great question. Um, actually, the industry turnover, which has remained relatively flat, you know, in other words, it's been a slight increase this past year, but prior to the pandemic, what, what happened was other occupations caught up with the really high turnover that EMS was experiencing. So pre you know, pandemic um, turnover overall 
was far lower for non-EMS or public safety professions. Post-pandemic, essentially, what happened is all of those sectors caught up to EMS. So we're still, you know, really essentially replacing all of our employees every roughly three years over the course of a three-year period and employers seeing really 100% turnover. Um, that has been pretty consistent for the last four or five years. But the, the difference now is, is that all other employers are also experiencing that really, really high level of turnover as well. So it's not really the badge of honor we want, but there are obviously reasons for our turnover and uh, you measure them in the survey. Um, Some may not be surprises, but uh, what sort of came to the top as those reasons for turnover? Yeah, I mean, and not frankly, this is something that hasn't really changed over the four years that the survey's been been done. And really, number one, of course, being dissatisfaction with pay and or benefits. And that that has been consistent all along. I know, um, you know, you know, as the, and one, one, one key note that I want to make about this survey is keep in mind that the, the survey respondents were organizational leaders, right? So in other words, we're asking companies to explain to us why they believe their turnover occurred. One of the things that um, Dr. Doverspike, who was the PhD who really led the statistical analysis, um, uh, you know, has had point, wanted to point out, and he and I have been talking about possibly trying to do a companion survey of EMS professionals rather than asking the companies what's driving turnover. We, we think that maybe there might be a benefit in, in doing a companion survey of EMS, uh, you know, individual EMS professionals to, to understand what what they are citing as their primary drivers of turnover. But for the purposes of this study, really, number one was dissatisfaction with pay or benefits. Number two was career change or occupation change. So people who either simply, you know, were doing what they had always done, which was come into EMS with the expectation of furthering their public safety career or furthering their medical career, or what we saw more of over the last um, over the last year was more folks who maybe did EMS in a part-time or per diem capacity as sort of a, the thing that they enjoy doing. And, and those folks actually were, we did see an increase in the part-time um, paramedic and EMT turnover, uh, a pretty significant increase in part-time. So for those folks who said, you know, I used to do this on the side, now I just can't afford to do it anymore. The, the other category of, of, of turnover that we also looked at was involuntary turnover. And so that's the instance in which the employer decides that it's time for that employee to go bring their magic somewhere else. And in, and in all of those instances, really, again, consistent with prior years, it was poor performance or other behavioral issues. But, uh, you know, one, one, one note, Rob, if I can, that we saw in 21 that we've seen a little bit of a correction on was in 21, involuntary turnover dropped from the prior years that it had been measured. And, and my best guess at that point was that that we were tolerating potentially performance or behavioral issues because we knew it was going to be really, really challenging to replace those folks. That seems to have corrected a little bit here in, in, in the 2022 survey. So I just want to drill back into something you said at the start of this particular segment, and that is that uh, we could go to the Fitch and EMS1 What Paramedics Want survey, where they asked everybody that, that, you know, that wanted to participate to participate. But this survey was aimed at those at the higher echelon. Is that, is that what I just heard correctly? Yeah, well, so what we did was we sent out the survey, and I know you were you and EMS1 were really helpful in, in sort of helping get that out to the 
potential candidate of respondents, but largely what we found was the respondents were organizational um, uh, survey responders. So in other words, the human resource or executive directors from EMS agencies around the country that were responding based upon their organizational turnover rather than why individuals may have left their company. They were focusing on what the organization believed was the cause of turnover. And that could be through, um, you know, exit interviews, or it could be through, you know, resignation letters or, or um, you know, what they yielded or frankly best guess of why they were losing employees. And I wanted to make that point because, again, as I said at the start, this, if you're a leader or a manager or you've got the word chief in your name, pay attention to this because this is what your peers think is happening or know is happening within their organizations. And obviously, this has been aggregated up by Scott and the team. What a Robism is about to come out. And I often say this that, uh, you know, sometimes you need to look at the cost of your recruiting budget versus the cost of your retention budget and work out, you know, how you can invest in people to keep them as opposed to invest in just recruiting them. But also, talking of costs, there is a cost to turnover. And when you start to assess the cost of losing someone and then the, the, the cost of time, and the cost in cash to get them back in there. That's a big number, right? Yeah, well, you know, and it's funny. I think, um, you know, society, and I lecture from time to time for the Society for Human Resource Management, which is not specifically an EMS HR organization. It's a, you know, overall uh, human resources organization. And and, and their, um, their estimation generally on the cost of turnover is roughly one third of an individual's annual salary. And the higher that individual, you know, the higher earning capacity that individual has, presumably the higher they are in the organization, the greater multiple on that. So if you're at a mid-level manager that could be, you know, twice their, um, I mean, sorry, um, 50% of their annual salary. If they are an executive, it can be 100% of their annual salary. Um, so uh, w- when we're looking though, and, and the turnover generally um, right now sort of, nationally from a cost perspective, they're saying one third. So if it's a $100,000 a year salary, then we're talking 30,000 in that cost of turnover. But for your average frontline EMT paramedic, you know, salary, probably baseline salary in the 30 to $50,000 range, we're talking roughly 10, you know, anywhere from 10 to $15,000 a year in, in really what we're calling turnover cost, which is um, one of the distinctions that I really pushed for when Greg and, and Avesta was hosting the survey, you know, they were getting at what was the reported cost from survey respondents of roughly around $9,000 um, in what what I really wanted to make the distinction of was this was onboarding costs, so the cost for interviewing, you know, um, processing applications, getting them through new hire orientation, you know, background checks, any PAT that might be done. And and that, you know, and that cost this year came in roughly right around the same number, just about $9,000 per employee. So if you're an organization of 100 people experiencing roughly 30, you know, 30 to 36 employees turning over a year, we're really talking about a pretty substantial amount of money. And, And to your point about the amount of money that's invested in you know, in that onboarding and recruitment process, you know, often I'll say to um, to executives, I'll say, okay, I know what your vehicle preventative maintenance schedule is. What's your workforce preventative maintenance budget line item? And, and, and most times I get sort of a sideways look because they go, well, you know, there isn't a budget 
line item for that. And I go, okay, that's just something to think about, right? That we know that that vehicles, the ambulances that we're all working in or the wheelchair van or the other associated vehicles all have a cost to maintain their um, operation and to ensure that they operate properly. We should probably start considering what should that preventative maintenance and upkeep budget item look like for workforce, which really is the largest asset that any organization has. You're right. People are our most important and most expensive resource, and so you, you know, I love that analogy of you know the the people maintenance program. Another show we've talked about uh, ambulance shortage and lack of chips, etc., and how we need to conserve our trucks and stop them from getting scratched, dented, crashed. We need to do the same thing for human beings. So that's a great analogy. So getting on to really solutions and, and and before we do that actually let's just talk about what have employees stated they want from us and i'll just give them a list so then we can go into solutions okay so they've said a significant increase in income or benefits and that's actually up from previous years a better work-life balance um, ability to do what they do best greater job stability and security and a diverse and inclusive work environment so that's what they've told us they want so what are the solutions scott yeah. So, you know, interesting, one of the things that I've heard from a lot of folks around the country, you know, leaders of organizations are, well, geez, we really have seen a pretty substantial increase um, as a result of COVID and the difficulty in the workforce. We've seen, you know, uh, wages and benefits go up anywhere from 20 to 30 percent sort of, you know, across the country. And and, and that's pretty and a pretty informal survey. But, you know, over the last some odd 30 events that I've presented at when I've asked that question, um, sort of universally, the response has been, it's it's gone up about 25, 30%. That's in keeping though, unfortunately, with what we've seen with wages and benefits across all other sectors. So, you know, where, you know, we have in fact increased what we're paying people, so has everyone else. And so we're basically, we're, we're at this higher level of cost without a corresponding significant benefit when we've looked at inflation. So for your average frontline EMT or paramedic, they really haven't seen a substantial change in, in, in work life, you know, quality. So, or, or, or personal life quality, um, you know, that being said, so um, as, as we've looked through to your point about getting to do what we do best, and we know Gallup's been, been researching this for nearly two decades. Um, what we know, sort of number one, most impact, you know, one of the number one things that drives engagement, which arguably can be equated to turnover, organizations with high levels of engagement have far lower turnover than organizations with low levels of engagement. We know supervisors play a significant role in that, um, in, in that dynamic. In fact, actually, cited by Gallup as the number one factor. Um, and, and, and again, we did see and still see a fairly high supervisor turnover rate. Um, number two, as you point out, getting to do what they do best every day, um, you know, having someone at work who encourages them and worries about their professional development. And that is one area that I think we in EMS really struggle with. You know, many folks still utilizing an annual performance review process. And as I've said a million times, would you tolerate a spouse who comes home once a year or says they love you once a year? Would you tolerate a dog or a cat who, who only cared that you were there once a year? The reality is you would not. And so we just you know, need to do understand that when employees have strong relationships with the people that they work with, they it becomes a far stickier relationship, and it is much harder to pull themselves apart. So, um, you know, that's one of those areas where, while I know we're all busy, I think working or focusing more on 
Um, number one, work-life balance. Uh, number two, developing relationships with your staff. I think the diversity and inclusion thing is really important. I'm, I'm, I'm a member of the board of the Savick Foundation who funded a study through Delaware State University this year relative to looking at, you know, are there issues in the certification education process in EMS that might be un, unintentionally, you know, um, um, excluding certain groups of people. And so we're hoping that the study's results will come out early next year. Um, it'll be the first real study done on this. And so we're really excited to see what the results are. But if you're an organization that isn't making that a priority, you know, again, employees are screaming to us, telling us what they want and, and, and diversity, work-life balance, and, you know, paying wages are, are those things. We need to be speaking in the language that makes that that is attractive to them. So, um, you know, saying what's important to you, maybe promoting what your ratio of, you know, female to male is, you know, if I'm a female looking to get into EMS and I'm working in an organization says, you know, we have an organization where, you know, it's nearly 50, 50, right. You know, 50% of the people who work at this organization are female. Is that going to be more welcoming to me? It very likely is same with those other protected categories or other groups, you know, whether they be, um, you know, age, race, religion, national origin, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation. Those are things that I think you should be celebrating as an organization because it will speak to the different folks, you know, many of whom, by the way, your workforce will loosely reflect the population as a whole. And what we have is a is a wildly diverse um, population these days. And it's important that we be creating an environment where it's welcoming for everyone. So I'm just going to take a moment to give a plug to a podcast I did uh, not so long ago. So if you're looking at the uh, the menu, just scroll down a little bit and, and catch uh, my diversity and equity podcast with doctors uh, Anjani Joyner, Amira Hamid, Andra Farkas, and Jordan Rudman, who published a paper with our good friend Remley Crow, actually. And uh, mm-hmm. so, if once you once you've of course you've finished getting to the end of this podcast, scroll down and uh, and, and pick it up. So let's go to a break, and we're going to come back and just catch up on another uh, subject, which is on along the lines of show me the money, Scott. <laughs> but before we do that, let's just have a word from our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly, serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities. Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioural health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, Visit lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Thank you for that. Don't forget, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and Amazon Music. And don't forget, EMS One Stop is now in a channel of its own. So please make sure you like and subscribe, and please leave a rating, a review, five stars, etc., on the platform that you're listening on. I'm here with Scott Moore. We've just been talking about the American Ambulance Association and Newton 360 Industry Turnover Survey. But as I've got you, Scott, we need to talk about money and income and how we work out how much EMS is worth. And I'm talking about the cost collection survey. And just to kind of get us going, I was at a conference recently, I'm not going to name which one, where I pulled up the list of that particular state's cost collection survey selectees and asked them to put their hand up and say, okay, who's who's on this list? And hands go up. Okay, keep your hands up if this is the first time you've heard about it. 
hands stay up. And that rings a massive uh, alarm bell for me. So let's go back to first principles, okay? So cost collection survey, what is it? Why are we doing it? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, as many of you know, the listeners will know that for years and years, we, uh, uh, as a as a profession, as an industry, and in particular, you know, sort of the, the American Animal Association, has been pushing to advocate on behalf of a, a Medicare reimbursement fee schedule that reflects the cost of providing the services to beneficiaries around this country. And so, for years, we've had these add-on payments: two, three, and twenty-two point six percent add-on payment that have gone through five-year extensions. We're currently in the process of trying to obtain a five-year extension of that money. Essentially, what we know is that with that extension of those add-ons, that that then ensures that ambulance providers, according to Medicare, are getting reimbursed at least their cost for providing service. One of the things that MedPAC, the Medicare Payment Advisory Committee, um, said the last time they uh, that they extended these add-ons were that, look, we need to to obtain cost-related data from all ambulance providers so that we can understand whether, in fact, the these add-ons and or the fee schedule is adequate to reimburse ambulance providers for the services they provide. So the ambulance cost collection process, the ground ambulance cost collection, data collection process is Medicare's answer to that. This will be the first time that systematically Medicare or, and frankly, the industry has had to report their cost. This is a cost report-like instrument that is, um, frankly, I would say like a, a, a diet cost reporting instrument. Um, there are um, 13 sections of the tool that uh, Medicare is going to um, make on a web-based tool to collect data from essentially all of the nearly 14,000 uh, ambulance services that bill Medicare each year. So um, what we're hopeful for is that this will allow or it will be used, the data will be used by Medicare to establish what will be a new fee schedule at, at some point uh, following the reporting year of 2024. So let me translate that into lay speak. And actually, this is kind of connected to the to the survey we talked about before the break, of course, in order to make money to pay people and pay people more, income is important. And as we all know out there, income is 95% derived from transporting somebody. Of course, we have the sort of treatment in lieu of transport initiatives out there, but that's not a lot. And obviously, there's insurance and then there's self-pay. Well, insurance, we haggle over that. Self-pay means there's nobody's insured. So therefore, this is one of our major sources of income. We've argued with others over the cost of doing business, and we can't actually clearly articulate that. And so this is going to allow us to do that. And I think I've explained that uh, appropriately. Yeah, and, and you're right. So uh, Medicare has hired the RAND company to essentially create an online web-based tool that all ambulance providers will have to submit their cost data in um for either half, 50% of the um, ambulance services in the country will report um, this coming by this coming May, and then the other remaining 50% will report by the following um, in 2024 May or the end five months following the end of their fiscal year. Um, then that data is going to be made publicly available, not individually identifiable data, but aggregated ambulance service data will be made publicly available and um, presumably used to establish what the new fee schedule will look like. And that could be, 
you know, um, a, dis a different distribution between urban, rural, and super rural. We know that there are very, very different costs based upon where you provide service. Um, it could be a different distribution between, you know, public safety-based EMS agencies, um, although we think more than likely what it will be is a distribution, a different distribution in the rural, or uh, rural, urban, and super rural, as well as just by HICPIC, so whether it's BLS, ALS, SET, et cetera. Um, you know, I, I think it's important, and one of the things that I say, I heard this quote somewhere, and I can't remember who it's attributed to, it might be Deming, but it was, you know, when data's like trash, if you're going to collect it, you sure as heck better know what people are going to do with it. And so um, this will be the first time that there's been a systematic collection of data, which I think is a really important um, uh, message for folks to say, look, we're going to systematically uniformly collect data based upon uh, organizational type, fire, you know, police or third service. And um, and it will be used to establish our payment structure. Now, that, like I said, can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. And that's part of why the AAA established there and created um, um, Amber, which is a, a cost collection tool that they hired a firm to uh, design and that we're really encouraging people to uh, utilize because as we lead into this, right, the data can be both positive or negative, and it's important that we can start to develop strategies based upon either one of those um, possible outcomes. We'll, we'll talk about the AAA class in a second, but uh, CMS have actually now issued years one through four, and in the show notes, we'll put links to that so you can see if you're in there. And it's not just ambulance companies, it's fire departments, it's it's yep. counties, it's municipalities, it's cities, it's anyone that's in receipt of Medicare funds. So if you were a fire chief sitting there, you need to go and check the list out because you might just be on there. As I said, I discovered at a recent conference, there were folk who were listed as year one that had no idea what we were talking about and so that's the reason yeah. that we're we're having this discussion scott but it's not too late to learn about stuff and, and so triple a american Amateur association are going around the country in various cost collection workshops and i have to just plug the next one coming up which is in san francisco on january the 12th at the south uh, san francisco convention center which if you're going to fly in and you're on the left coast or actually any coast is actually right next door to sfo so literally land get an uber around the corner and you're in if you're a leader and you need to attend one we're certainly on the left coast doing that in january but there are others coming up right scott yeah we have um uh, samantha hilker with the AAA has been really instrumental in in um, coordinating all of the efforts to get these out there. So one, for any state association or any fire group or any any group, frankly, that is interested in having us, um, any one of the number of uh, ambulance cost education faculty come out and host a workshop. You know, the, the, I can't understate the importance of this. Understand that the last time Medicare reformed the payment system was in 2000. So this is likely the last time for another 20 years that we're going to see uh, a reform of the payment system. So whatever comes out of this, good, bad, or ugly, will be the new fee structure for ambulance providers very likely for a long time to come. So uh, for those you know entities or organizations that are interested in hosting or learning more, we will have a number of workshops, at least one or two every single month around the country for the next year. Um, you know, Just reach out to hello at ambulance.org and, um, and Samantha or, or one of us will um, certainly follow up with you. So that's an easy uh, name to remember. Hello at ambulance.org and uh, someone will respond to you. Um, this has been a vitally important discussion because we need to be able to demonstrate what it costs to do the business in order to stay in business. And uh, there are now organizations around the country that are either closing down or are withdrawing from the markets they're in because the business is no longer affordable. So we need to actually be able to demonstrate that. 
which is vitally important. So, you know, if you've got this far on the podcast and you're, as I say, an EMS chief or you're someone that's dealing with the administration of EMS, or indeed you're a city manager, pay attention because your name is on the list and you need to be doing something. Um, if they don't do something, Scott, though, very quickly, there's a penalty, right? Yeah. Well, so not only is there a 10% penalty for the following calendar year of all Medicare reimbursement if you fail to submit your cost data. The other thing that I think is even more impactful, frankly, will be, because there will be agencies who go, geez, you know, we bill $100,000 to Medicare a year. When we look at the um, distribution of agencies, 90.1% bill less than 2,500 transports to Medicare a year. That being said, um, you know, a 10% penalty may not be a substantial thing. The thing is, is understand that this data, if you fail to respond, sends the message that maybe there isn't this crisis in EMS reimbursement. But number two, whatever the fee schedule ends up being is likely the one we're going to own for another decade or two. So recognize that it could result in lower reimbursement, uh, lower than the current fee schedule, if in fact there's bad data in the system. Again, rising tide either raises or lowers all boats. So it's a good point to make. And actually, it's a bit like the ET3 program. There's not many organizations doing it, but it's a federal program. We have to go through it to collect the data so it's actually federally acknowledged as a thing. So we have to do it, and it is a thing. So, Scott, thank you so much for giving us a heads up on those two vitally important uh, uh, paper survey and also, obviously, the cost collections. How can we continue to follow you, sir? Well, certainly, yeah. You can uh, find me uh, on the World Wide Web, as they say, uh, at uh, www.moreemsconsulting.com or um, at newton360.com, certainly on all of the social media feeds, um, although I'm by no means the the master to that as you are. But, um, you know, easy enough to find. Again, just if you Google Scott Moore and EMS, it's going to come up. And if you're looking for anything related to cost collection, just email at hello at ambulance.org. And that certainly will get you to one of the faculty, myself included, and we will respond to you with your question. Scott, thank you for joining me this morning. As always, don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter at UKRobL1 or just find me over on LinkedIn. I'm always posting stuff that we're up to. Um, But for the moment, Scott Moore, always a pleasure. Hope to have you back again soon. Uh, Thanks very much, mate. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. So remember, he was Scott Moore. I was Rob Lawrence. This was EMS One Stop. And until next time, bye for now.